Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. So we're looking at um, two parables of Jesus told right next to each other. Can we have the next uh, slide? And these are the, the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value, which Judith has illustrated to great effect. Two parables with a very similar meaning. Jesus told one straight after the other. Okay, next slide, please. Sim, when he first spoke on parables a few weeks ago, explained what the word parable means. I just want to recap here because it's quite important to understanding these parables. The word parable comes from the Greek word, or is made up of two Greek words, para, which means by or alongside, and balo, which is those things you use, it's about, means throw, literally means throw, to throw something alongside. It's a story that was told by Jesus generally, and it's meant to be thrown alongside a spiritual truth, a story that's meant to teach us a spiritual truth. Okay, so the ones we're going to look at today um, have a meaning, and we're going to look into what that meaning is, what the spiritual truth is. So can we have the next slide, please? Now, Although Jesus spoke in parables to most of the time, not all the time, but to the crowds, he didn't, and they didn't always understand them, but he did intend the disciples to understand them, what they meant. And very often the disciples would come to him afterwards and say, what does that mean? And he would explain it to them. And he intends us to understand. They shouldn't be a mystery to us what the spiritual truths are. Unfortunately, throughout the ages, some people have been guilty of reading the most ridiculous uh, things into the parables. I don't know if you ever read Augustine's um, sort of interpretation of the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's a well-known story about the man who was set upon by thieves and his own kind didn't help him. In the end, he was helped by someone who was effectively his enemy. I mean, the simple point that Jesus was making in that parable was that our neighbor, our, you know, as anyone in need should be our neighbor. Uh, some people read too much into them. Some people say, the details aren't important. The only thing is to get that main point. So the main point of the Good Samaritan story is help anyone who's in need and be a neighbor to anyone in need. Now, I agree that there is a main point of truth to most parables, but if we ignore the details, we can often get the main point of truth wrong. Um, and if the details in the parable don't match the other truths that we find in the scriptures in the Bible, then it's quite probably we have got the main point of truth wrong. And this is especially true into the two parables we're going to look at today, which are part of a set of parables called the parables of the kingdom. And they all start with the words, something like, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then Jesus tells the story. The kingdom of heaven is God's kingdom. It's, 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 it's heaven and it's what God is doing on the earth. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And there are quite a lot of parables in Matthew all start like that. And we're looking at two of them. Uh, yeah, a little bit ahead of ourselves, but there we are. It doesn't matter. Jesus was the master storyteller, okay? We can trust that not only was the main point of truth obvious, but also the details were accurate too. And he intended them to convey truth and tell us something more. Finding, I think the best explanation for me is finding the truth in a parable is a bit like those photographs of objects from a strange angle. Have you ever seen them where someone's taken a photograph of an object and you can only see a bit and you, you're trying to work out what it is and nobody gets, and then you turn it around and you look at it and then finally it clicks 
right, that's it. And when it clicks, it's obvious how it all fitted together. And I think some of the truths in the parables are like that. And I think we're going to find that with these two today. So now we can get on to the parables, and I'll read them. The kingdom of heaven, it's just two very short parables. Jesus was speaking to the crowds here and to his disciples. They were all together. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls, as in the, illust- in the drama. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, those are both parables of the kingdom. They both start with the kingdom of heaven. But it's very important to understand that it's not necessarily saying the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, though a lot of people think it is, or the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Um, it's, ra- it's rather saying the kingdom of heaven is like this story. The trouble is almost every English translation starts like that, and a lot of people you know, think, oh, well, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, or the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. I found only one translation, um, and we go on to the next one, that actually puts it how I think we should read it, which is this. The Good News translation says, The kingdom of heaven is like this. A man happens to find a treasure hidden in a field. He covers it up again and is so happy he goes and sells everything he has and then goes back and buys that field. Also, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man is looking for fine pearls. I think, and I believe absolutely, that is the gist of these parables. Every one of them is just saying the kingdom of heaven is like the story. It's not just like the first thing in the story. Okay, and we also know that from when Jesus did explain these parables to people, and he explained one about weeds, and he said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went and sowed good seed in his field. And when he went on and explained that parable, he said the good speed is the word of God, the field is uh, the world, and, and the man is the son of God, is Jesus himself. So he said that the whole story, he showed the whole story was about the kingdom. So, the, the question is, what is the correct interpretation of these two very simple parables, the hidden treasure and the pearl? Have the next slide, please. This is the common one most of us have heard. And in fact, if you look in the NIV Study Bible, the Lion Handbook to the Bible, um, Matthew Henry's commentary, a fail, famous old commentary, they all say this. They say the treasure, this is answering Judah's treasure, and the treasure uh, and, the, and the merchant who find... Um, and the merchant who finds the pearls is us as sinners searching for God. So the man looking for the treasure um, and, the, and the merchant looking for the pearl is us looking for God. And the treasure or pearl, when they finds it, is God. They found God. They found the kingdom. They found salvation. They found Jesus. Um, and it's saying the parable is simply saying that when we find Jesus, we should be prepared to give up everything, to sell everything, to follow him. And I'm sure some of you have heard that taught, and I've taught it myself, I know, in the past, okay? But there's some problems with that interpretation. As a principle, we should be willing to give up things to follow Jesus, if necessary. But we can't sell anything. I mean, let's look at the details now. What can you sell? No matter how rich we are, you can't buy your entry into the kingdom of God. That's the Bible teaches us absolutely clearly. It teaches us salvation is a free gift from God. We can't do anything to earn it or purchase it. So that detail doesn't match the rest of Scripture. Now, we are told to seek God, and if we seek him, we will find him. That, that isn't true. But we did not choose him. It says he chose us. We didn't choose him. The merchant went out and he chose that pearl. We didn't choose him. In fact, John 15:16, verse 16 says this, You did not choose me, 
But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that you, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So there are some truths in that interpretation. We should give, give up our worldly desires to follow God. But what do we really give up? We give up sin, we give up lust, we give up depression, we hopefully give up pride and cynicism. Those aren't things of value. We're not selling anything of value to try. We're, we're getting rid of the, the rubbish to follow Jesus. And I believe the master Tory teller Jesus would have got the details right. He wouldn't have had all those inconsistencies with his rest of teaching if that's what he meant the parable to mean. So I think that's a poor interpretation, although it's the one most of us have probably been taught. What's another one? Can we go on to the next slide? Is there another interpretation? Now, this is the time to open the treasure box, okay? If the treasure is not the kingdom or Jesus, the treasure is something else, what is it? Who has the treasure box? Would you like some wire cutters to be able to open the treasure box? <laughs> Thank you. You can... Yeah, you, you've got to do it. Just cut it. And tell us what's in the box. A mirror. And what do you see if you look in the box? No, in the mirror. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Here we have the next slide. I think this is a better interpretation. We're going to look at why this is a thing. That if we are the treasure, and we are the pearl of great value, and God is the man who has found the treasure and who sought out the pearl, let's see if those details match what we read in the rest of Scripture better. Shall we? Shall we see if that's a better interpretation? So let's uh, go to the next slide, please. The God who gave everything. Let's look at man. Was he, what, did God give everything for us, to, bu to buy us? The most famous verse in the Bible, everyone knows it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall perish, and, but ha shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. God gave the most precious thing he had for us. Just watching the time here, okay. Another verse there, 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The word redeemed there is a Greek word that actually means to pay the ransom price. It really is a financial term. Jesus, we were bought with the most precious blood of Jesus, that tells us. Um, can we have the next one? Next slide, yeah. This is overkill. There are so many verses that show this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. As the scripture says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The scripture tells us that Christ or God bought us in some way through Jesus dying on the cross. Galatians 3.13, it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The word redeemed there is different to the other one we saw. It means purchased out of the slave market. That's literally what that word meant. And when Jesus died on the cross, that last verse there, he said, it is finished. When he died and he finally gave, uh, you know, uh, gave up his ghost, they say, gave up his spirit, it is finished. That word finished is a financial transaction. It's like the deal is done. That's actually what Jesus said on the cross. The deal is done. I've done it. I've bought you. 
So let's look at the next slide. Do you think that matters, matches the details of the parable a bit better? I don't know if you noticed there's a subtle difference between the two parables. And I always love the little differences and think, what are we going to learn from that? When the man found the treasure, he didn't just take it, he hid it again. And then he went and bought the whole field. Now, we might say, in, perhaps in the UK law, if you find treasure, you can't have it unless you own the land that you found it in. But he actually bought the whole field. And in other parables, we're told by Jesus that the field, in many of the parables, represents the world. So there you can see another verse, John, 1 John 2.2. 2, he himself is a sacrifice that atones for us, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So the details are perfectly fit. What scripture tells us, Jesus died for the whole world, not just for those who believe. Okay, uh, can we go to the next slide? Now I'm going to look at the differences, but another couple of differences between the two parables, because it's very interesting. One's about treasure, one's about a pearl. What, why? Why did Jesus tell two? Wouldn't one have been enough? Many people believe, and I do believe, that the hidden treasure may actually represent the nation of Israel. Okay. And we can look at the other scriptures. In fact, Judas read one out at the beginning of the service that said we are his treasure. And in those cases, God was talking to the nation of Israel. Look at this in Exodus 19.5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. And in Psalm 135, for the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. The scripture compares Israel to treasure, which is amazing. So let's look on the next one. So if the hidden treasure parable is really about Israel, and there's some more details I haven't got time to that shows that the hiding is significant, that he hid it and then, it became, and then he bought the whole field, then the church, us, must be the pearl, which is just fantastic to think God sees us as the most beautiful pearl. And it's consistent with Scripture to use precious stones to represent things. In the Old Testament... There were different tribes of Israel, and they all had their own stone. I've just got three there. Judah had the stone of ruby, which is the red, the color of blood. Judah was the tribe from which Jesus came, from which Jesus, uh, he was from the tribe of Judah. And he died on the cross and shed his blood. Reuben, his stone was emerald. You can find this in, uh, I think it's in Exodus, where the, the, these are the stones on the, on the garment of the, of the high priest. Emerald was sea green. Now, when you read about Reuben, he was unstable, a very unstable character, like the sea. And Simeon, his stone is a sapphire, and he was very hard and very cruel. A sapphire is the second hardest stone to diamond. So, it's scriptural to compare people and types of people to jewels. But God, or Jesus, has compared us to a pearl. Now, what's, what can we learn about the church from us being a pearl? The first thing about a pearl, anyone who knows how pearls are created, they are created through agony, the agony of the oyster. A little bit of grit gets in the oyster, and the oyster secretes this mother of pearl round the, round the little bit of grit to cover it up to, so it doesn't hurt so much, and then it grows into this beautiful pearl. What does it say about Jesus? Our salvation was bought through Jesus' agony on the cross. It's only possible because of that pain and suffering. And it says this in two, 1 Peter, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. Next characteristic of pearls. I don't know if you know this. Pearls are very soft. Unlike any of those other stones I talked about, pearls are very soft. Um, they can be easily scratched, very easily damaged. In fact, rubbing them on clothing or perspiration can damage pearls. These are, you know, not the ones Judith had. They were artificial pearls <laughs> or plastic ones. These are real pearls. They should either be worn on silk, and if they are worn on your skin, then you should, that you should wash them very soon afterwards because so, the skin oils can damage them. What can we learn about us from the fact that pearls are soft? Ezekiel, this, this, ver this verse I'm going to read is very special to me. This was read out. This is the verse that was preached on in the meeting where I became a Christian in 1983. And, and it, was a, it was this from Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And the man preaching, he had a rock and he had a lump of Play-Doh. And he said, what is your heart like? Is it like that rock to God? Or is it like that lump of Play-Doh? God wants to give us a heart of flesh. And the pearl is a soft stone. And he wants us to have a heart that shows us that God wants us to have a heart for him. Not a hard heart towards him, but a soft heart towards him. Secondly, um, we should also be soft and caring towards each other. And in fact, the church should be characterized by love. And Jesus himself said this, a new in John, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you also love one another. Now, you know, probably know in, in Scripture, believers are compared to sheep. They're a bit stupid. They need a lot of looking after. They need a good shepherd. There's lots of things that say the church is actually quite a delicate thing. And it does actually need very care, great care. Again, like a pearl. Last thing about pearls. Pearls are beautiful. They're not beautiful in the same way as diamonds and sapphires. They shine with a sort of, it's not a harsh beauty. It's a soft, a warm inner radiance that pearls have. And uh, let's just read some scriptures about the church, shall we, that, that, that tells us something about that. 1 Peter 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment. This is talking about believers here, not just the church, such as elaborate hair cells or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which was great worth in God's sight. God has put his love and his light into us, and we need to shine like pearls do. And we must also shine... Um, uh, well, it, we should also shine with the, uh, for the love of Jesus so others can see that. And Corinthians, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. There's a passage in Matthew that says, We should be lights on a hill. We shouldn't be covered. We should be lights to the world around us. Can you see that if you get the right interpretation of the parable, the details fit, and you learn so much more from those details. They confirm the rest of Scripture. And we, we learn so much more that Jesus, the master storyteller, intended to be there. Every detail fits like that picture clicking into place. So now, I think, I believe we've got the details right. What does that mean? Uh, next, last slide, I think, or one but last. What is the main truth? What is the wonderful truth of those two parables? It is that God paid the highest price for us. He gave his own son, his most precious possession. He sold everything that he owned, if you like. He, he didn't sell it. 
The details, though, you mustn't push it too far, but he did actually sacrifice him. And as I showed you, all those terms used in Scripture are financial. There's a financial transaction he bought us through his blood. What does this tell us? If someone, what someone is prepared to pay for something shows how much value it is to them, isn't it? I mean, you'll, you'll, if it's worth it, you'll pay for it. So that just shows that we are of immense value to him. And Jesus also called us his hidden treasure and his valuable pearl, what does that tell us about how he looks at us, how he sees us? Not only valuable, but beautiful and precious to God. If we can get that in our heads and in our hearts, we should never look down on ourselves. We should never think we're worthless or hopeless. How could God love me? As I've heard this said several times. God is never disillusioned with us because he never had any illusions in the first place. God knows the worst about us. The absolute worst, more than, worse than, more than we do ourselves, and yet he still loves us. He still describes us as his treasure, his hidden treasure, his pearl of great price. So we need that love of Jesus to fill us to overflowing, to obliterate the lies that we've been told about worthlessness and rejection. If we can only get this truth in us, we will have the answer when we get down or feel depressed. The creator of the universe loves me, and he calls me his treasure and his pearl of great value. Now the last slide. (laughs) There is a challenge in this parable because although Jesus did die for the whole world, the whole world is not the treasure. The treasure was in the world. He he buried it and he found it. The whole world is not the treasure. The treasure is only something in the world. And the question for us is, the treasure and the pearl are the people that are following Jesus, that are God's people. They're the people who are the true believers and followers of Jesus, who show this not just by their words or by what they say, but how they live as well. Those are the true followers of Jesus. Those are the true treasure and the pearl. And if this does not describe you, if you think, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm not, I may say I am, I'm not living, but I'm not living as if I am, then actually you're just part of the field. You're not part of the treasure. And you're not part of the pearl. But to become part of the treasure and the pearl is very simple. You only have to ask Jesus to be your Lord. I say only. You do have to do that and commit to follow him for your, the rest of your life. But that's something you can do today. And when you do that, you are part of that treasure. You become part of that pearl. And Jesus looks at you and says, you're the most valuable thing. I died for you. Now, if anyone wants to know more about that, there's speak to myself or Sim or Judith, anyone at the end of the meeting. But right now, we're going to have Sam and is going to come up because here is someone who is part of that treasure who wants to tell you publicly that I have been found by Christ. I'll let Sam tell his own story. But I think this is a good link into what's going to happen next. Thank you. Oh, actually, let's just pray before I do that. Just a, Father, just thank you for the wonderful stories Jesus told. And thank you that if we get the truth right, we can learn so much. And just thank you for this wonderful picture of us being the treasure and us being the pearl and you being the person who gave up everything because you saw us so valuable. Just help us get that and, and to know that truth in our hearts. And for those of us who don't know you, Lord, help us realize that we can, that is open to us as well. If only we would agree to follow Jesus and to spend our lives um, in service of him, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Neil. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.